At MasterCard, we believe that women-owned small businesses are uniquely inspiring. They're pillars of the community and have a measurable impact on the people within them. It's their secret sauce. We are deeply committed to helping address the daily challenges of all Canadian small businesses by putting our technology, cybersecurity solutions, digital resources, and partnerships to work for you every day. Discover them today at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. MasterCard, start something priceless. At Scotiabank, we know how important thriving businesses are for the strength of our economy. Our team of experienced advisors across the country can provide you with tailored advice, leading products, and valuable resources to help achieve all your financial goals. We're here for every future. Let's get started today. Visit us at scotiabank.com slash smallbusiness. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday at 10 a.m. ET to hear new stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Dexter Peart and Byron Peart. After founding the acclaimed bags and accessories brand Want Les Essentiels in 2007, designers, curators, and twin brothers Brian and Dexter Peart set out on a new mission to work exclusively with products and items that make a strong social or environmental impact. Launched in 2019, Goody is a curated e-commerce marketplace offering sustainable homeware and lifestyle products for better living. Goody is a certified B Corp company leading the charge in curating a marketplace that brings together the values of good design and good purpose. With a fast-growing team based in Montreal, Byron and Dexter act as the lead curators for this global e-commerce platform and storytelling destination. In 2020, Goody joined 1% for the Planet, whose members contribute at least 1% of annual sales to environmental causes. Most recently, Goody was recognized by Fast Company in 2021 as one of the world's most innovative companies. Dexter and Byron, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks, Rick. Yeah, it's really a pleasure to be with you all today. It's great to great to have you here. Over time, we look forward to hearing both of you, and we'll get used to uh, uh, who's who <laughs> from your voices. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. Let's start out by just talking about the, the, the challenge of being a global brand. What's the first, most basic, most life-changing tip or advice each of you would give an entrepreneur who wants to get into export and global trade. Byron, why don't you go first? Yeah, um, well, I, I think, I, I first of all, it's really, really cool to be here. And, and as guys who have, are uh, quote unquote serial entrepreneurs, we've been at, at this for a while. Um, it's always exciting for us to share our, our paths and our history. And, and I, 
would always say that um, one of the, the most important things for, for a company or an individual who's looking to export is to really understand the market that they're looking to and to really get to know and understand that, that market. Um, it's easy to think, especially in these times and days, that the whole world is our oyster. But the, the truth is that um, exporting is difficult. It's um, the consumer it, getting to know that consumer, what the needs are, what the competition is in that market place is critical. And, and I think that sometimes it seems because if you could be online and have the entire um, world as a marketplace, that, that that reach seems logical. But it's not always the case. There's a lot of intricacies and, and formalities around exporting to specific markets. And I'd say getting to know truly, visiting, understanding, um, doing a lot of due diligence on that market is, is key. Dexter, what's your best advice? Well, my best advice would be very similar to what Barnes says. It really starts with doing the research. I think that's uh, that's paramount. A couple things, and, and just to give a little backstory about Barn and myself, we're on the on the call right now. We're twin brothers, and um, it has never been lost on us that when you try to export outside of the country or try to have an entrepreneurial business that's global, it really takes a lot of audacity and sometimes a lot of curiosity as well, too. And so I think that the two tips that I think are extremely important is, one, you have to really think about making sure that you have a product or a service that is something that's going to resonate globally or at least outside of the borders of your own country. And then the second thing is really to Barnes' point, you have to really have the curiosity to understand what are those customers who are outside of your borders really truly looking for? What are they willing to invest in? And how is the product or service that you're offering going to somehow create value in their lives? And that's extremely important. When you, I got to follow up on that, Dexter. How would someone know or bet that a product or service is going to resonate globally. How do you do it? Do you, do you guys test? Do you go on gut instinct? How does it work? Yeah, I think it's, there's there's no doubt, Rick. There's some testing and gut instinct, but even more important, you know, we're coming out of a pandemic right now. We have not been able to move around like we used to. But there's two ways now. One is that I think the internet um, has created an opportunity for us to be able to sort of ingest a lot more data than we used to be able to. So there's no doubt that we can do market research, survey research, and drive data that comes from building a customer base that's outside of our own borders. That's sort of the testing right now, even with Goody, which we'll speak about very shortly, 80% of our turnover is actually outside of the borders of Canada. And yet we haven't been able to travel as much as we'd like to. But the second piece is, is old traditional, um, you know, to know the market, you have to get into the market. And I think now that we're able to travel again, it's important and incumbent on companies and businesses to go to the markets that they want to be able to address, spend some time, ask some questions, um, you know, survey your customers in the real world, in the physical world. And, um, and I think that that's the beginning, sort of test and try, but definitely you have to be active to be able to activate a market. So it, it's partly a matter of like being in these markets, talking to people, understanding what's working. Uh, so I guess... There's no substitute for being able to get around. So how have you been, uh, been, been surviving and succeeding in this tough uh, COVID time? I, I think it's about a little bit of ingenuity. Times are changing. And I think some of the, the things, I'll just speak for myself, Rick. Um, in the past, I, I, you know, Dex and I traveled quite a lot um, for work and for business, especially to New York. And we, we felt often that we had to be there as we were not necessarily... Um, make that that business deal if we weren't physically there. And I think that the reality is there there are many more ways to do business to 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 
understand the customer. And you, Dexter, mentioned surveys before. We're doing a lot around customer relations and customer experience um, on the site. So um, that is, is an exciting thing because I think we might have taken it for granted a bit before because we wouldn't have felt that that was the only place to get the data. We would have felt that we were we needed to be boots on the ground. So I think now it's a little bit of a time to be to be really creative, inventive, having um, uh, test groups, uh, focus groups together, uh, using our, our, our customers. When I say using is probably the wrong word, um, but welcoming our customers to be part of, of this this test and learn experience as well too. It's exciting. Many are, are very interested and, and available to participate in in a, in a company's development. I think typically we used to think of that as being the things we keep in house and internal, and then now we, we're we're really um, asking um, our audience what it is that they're looking for, and, and and how could we how could we deliver more on not only our, our mission but on the products that that appeal to them. So I do think that it's it's going to be a time where we're going to see a, a quite adaptive experience of of um, of how we're we're going to kind of evolve around having to travel and that that being the, the primary way of our, our get us getting our story or our product to market. We talked about uh, Goody as a storytelling platform. You just mentioned the word story. What's your story? You guys started uh, at a pretty young age getting into a global brand with want in the bags and accessories space, which is kind of crowded. And you had an exit there and now you're in Goody. So can you uh, sum up this story, how, how you guys got to want and how you got from there to here? <laughs> yeah, it's a great, it's a great question, Rick. Um, Bar and I just celebrated our 50th birthday recently. And so I think it's just been uh, age and uh, a lot of hard work, to be honest with you. But I, the, the, the true answer is, is that um, and back to the curiosity comment that I made before, um, Dexter speaking here, Rick, I think that, that um, we knew early on that we had a story to tell and that story manifested itself around accessories and bags in the early um, 2000s when, you know, it was sort of the advent of the iPhone and then people were traveling more for business than they had been, you know, in decades that preceded that. Um, companies were starting to look more globally um, and we were looking at, you know, what are the solutions that, um, you know, customers that are discerning are looking for, whether it's a man or a woman who's, you know, working between Toronto and New York or, or London and Montreal. And how could we service that customer with bags and accessories that were going to help improve their life and the way that they were traveling? And so I think it's been for Byron and me and specifically with Goody, um, we've seen a market shifting away from um, people wanting to just purchase products for the sake of purchasing them um, and really understanding that the choices that they're making in their lives actually do have an effect on other people and also on the planet. It was something that we had adopted well within um, Want in our early days. It was one of the first brands that was really espousing um, really durable sustainable sustainability inside how we were producing, making, and conceiving the brand. And it was really important for us in our journey as we continued on to start something new after Want that we were really deeply, deeply committed um, to building a company and a business that really was um, foundational to our values and that at the exact same time um, was really exciting and really fun. And then so, you know, building out a brand that's around design, home interiors, um, you know, lifestyle, and, and, and it's really something that we're very passionate about. So I have to tell you that probably the one big story of our lives is that we do the things that we love to do. And what we love to do right now is to build companies, work hard with great people and amazing talent, 
and then tell amazing stories about other people that are doing things that are inspiring us. And that's really what Goody is, is a, it's a destination where we promote, um, we promote and sort of and tell the stories of brands that are out there that are doing truly amazing design products that also have a positive influence on the world um, at large. Byron, t- t- tell me how you guys managed to put together a great brand. Was it your second try, your third try? With, I'm looking at Want. Um, did you stumble into it? What, what's the real story here? No, I mean, if, we, if we're going I, to Dexter's point, I think that would take us back. And not to, but I, I think when Dexter mentioned our age, that'll help kind of make it less convoluted, our experience. We actually started, um, and it's directly related to, to this, this discussion around export. We, our, our initial business is actually a distribution company. We were importing brands from uh, across Europe and, and originally from, from Scandinavia in the fashion space. And we did this for more than 10 years, Rick. And it was a very exciting entry into the, into the business. Actually, I both have business backgrounds um, from Western, and we, but we always felt like we knew that we that design was what was pulling us um, emotionally and, and uh, spiritually, I suppose. And, um, and then we had this opportunity to start bringing brands that were at that time on totally unknown, um, had no um, access to the market whatsoever. And we built these, these brands that today are, are, are quite well known and established companies from, from around the globe. That led to us being, and I guess back to the first question with our understanding of the market, we were distributors for all of North America um, with these fashion uh, brands. And we felt immediately, we saw that there was a void in the market, specifically in the accessory space. And I think the one, I would like where Dexter was before, because I think there's this one, when you say, what's our story? I think that Dexter was speaking earlier about curiosity, but I think that we are constantly and have consistently challenged what needs we we say what needs to exist in other words what needs to what's truly a product or a story that needs to be told and has longevity and and richness and we felt that in the space of accessories it was one platform it wasn't that we like we thought that bags were the end-all be-all but we really were thinking about um how could we make a product that was desirable that's where the word name want comes from and les essentiels was about something that's truly essential and needs to exist. That's been a core to how we've developed our, our, our business and into Goody, um, is that at the end of the day, we're constantly asking and challenging the question, is this a product that truly needs to exist because it in some way is doing adding value at its conception or development or production and or through the use with the consumer. So that's our, our big goal and I guess challenge at the same time. Um, it's been an exciting path. So we didn't stumble on, on, on these business. They're all in some ways an evolution of the others. Interesting. Yeah, that, that, that's the story. Thank you for, for helping fill in the, 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 the corners there. You guys are twins. Was it always inevitable that you'd go into business together or was it the discovery? <laughs> I think you'd have to ask my mom and dad. But um, yeah, we, we, we do so many things together, Rick. Um, and Barn and I have been very, very close as brothers. But even in the idea space, I think we've also been very um, committed to our relationship, having a brother's relationship, but at the exact same time, an I- I- ideas relationship. I mean, we we constantly are trying to push each other to come up with better ideas. We see the world in very similar ways, but we are twins, but we are different. And I think that what we found is that we have our voices stronger together from a professional standpoint. And that's something that we've been committed to for, um, for our professional um, sort of development, but also it's just been a lot of fun. 
And so I think it's sort of, it was inevitable in the sense of there's no one I'd rather spend um, all day with. Um, but at the exact same time, it's not easy to be in a, in, in a business relationship with family ever, but we made it work really, really well. And it's been a lot of fun. That's fabulous. Byron, anything to add? Yeah, I, def- I, I, def- I definitely want to add the, um, I think that Dexter had uh, on the spot, I think, but there's one thing that I'm, I'm thinking again, when you had asked the tips for other entrepreneurs, I think that we recognize how privileged we are to have each other in, in, in terms of, of not only um, coming up with ideas, but building a business together. We are acutely aware of the challenges of, of getting up every day and um, building a business, organizing teams, um, the good days, the bad days, and there are, there, are, there are several, plenty of both. And having someone that is not only someone you could depend on, but someone you could trust, they could kind of um, motivate you when, you when you're feeling somewhat down or the other way around, you know, like the, take that energy. We're both tennis fans. And I, I often think about doubles tennis in some ways as well, too. We feel that we, we are quite fortunate for that. So I, and I think when Dexter says that the, together we have a stronger voice, but then I think we both feel that there's also much more power when we work together as well, too. And that's an exciting thing. And something that I, I think we often encourage people, not everyone's going to have a twin brother, but having a partner in business, um, someone that, that is dependable, that, that is honest, um, trustworthy, not always the easiest thing to find, but when you have it, it does help uh, tremendously for, uh, for the perseverance in, in, in business development. There's no question. That is so cool. I just want to play the twins card. Dexter, what's one way that you guys are eerily similar in your behavior or outlook? In, in ambition, for sure. Ambition? Tell me about your ambition. I think that... Your joint uh, sense of ambition. Yeah, yeah. I think that um, from a very young age, our parents who are um, born in Jamaica, moved to Canada um, in the early 60s to do um, their postgraduate education here, um, they instilled in us that, you know, even though we were young and black, we were here in Canada, um, in Ottawa at the time, and that there was nothing that we couldn't do. Um, And I think that that ambition and that back to the curiosity and the audacity that I spoke about at the top of our podcast, Rick, those are just some pretty um, sort of foundational and fundamental values that were instilled in us from a very young age. Um, I would also say that our other brothers also are encouraged and and sort of occupy that space as well, too. And so um, that's sort of where, where I would go. I mean, I think it's sort of, I would say that comes from our parents, um, first and foremost. And, um, and that ambition is not just a wild ambition. It's just an ambition that says anything that we want to do or the stories that we want to tell or the voices that we have, um, you know, there's no reason why we should be afraid to not use those voices. And in this particular case, use them hopefully for, for, um, for a little bit of creating, you know, a better world and better business and, and, and hopefully, you know, better design and better stories. Okay, last twins question, I promise. Byron, what way are you guys really, really different? I wouldn't say really, really different, but I will share something that I, I, I think we have recognized through working together. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, um, something predetermined uh, by any stretch. Is that I, well? I, this part was Dexter used to say when I was a very, when we were very young, he'd say that I was the dreamer. Um, so back to his ambition statement before, I, I think that um, maybe my ambitions run a little bit further, or, or um, 
in, in some ways, but I think Dexter is, I'm more the dreamer and Dexter is more pragmatic in, 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 in some ways. That's something that I think we've used to our advantage. And when we were speaking earlier about, about partnership, um, it's important that, that in, in a duo like this wouldn't have two dreamers or two pragmatists because at the end of the day, it, they, they level and balance each other off. Um, they, what I was going to say afterwards is that some very good friends of ours in New York, they have a, they, they have a restaurant and um, they were explaining their partnership in the way of someone being front of house and someone else being back of house. And and then I think Dexter and I found some common relationship with that, where in some ways that I guess that I, I tend to lean into being this 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 forward facing social um dreamer and that that touches a lot of the areas around marketing and communication and branding um partnerships and relationships with suppliers and uh, and then dexter is like at the end it's so and, and i think he's, he'll always remind me that it's more important that the that the food uh, comes out edible than, than than the experience in the restaurant um and dexter is really at the end of the day i mean he sees um he he's very detail oriented um he's someone who kind of um he 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 kind of i think he could see behind the shadows well um and that's an exciting way to, to work together so yeah i think he, he touches largely around the organizational financial uh managerial um parts of the business as well too and uh and it, it, it's good because it's not it's about knowing these character differences but then how could those apply into how we work as well too i think that that's critical when speaking about a business not just to find okay well what are what makes the, the partner separate but how could you use the best skills to be able to reach the common goal Let's talk about Goody. So what niche did you see in the market and what are you doing differently? Yeah, I'd, I'd say Byron here, Rick. Um, I think if we if we go back to where we were um, a, a few moments ago and, and Dexter and I were, were saying that, I mean, we're ultimately motivated by what, true, what we believe truly needs to exist. When we see something that doesn't exist, that's how we tend to react. So um, I think we sometimes think that... Um, I think Dexter says he's used the word sadistic sometimes, but we're going into businesses that are in some ways, and, and even this particular case, much more ambitious than I think we thought just it was going to be the two of us. We felt that in the market, we were yearning for a destination that could be trust, that would be trustworthy, and that trust needs to be built, but that it was a destination where two, where two solutions could be resolved. One, namely, we were so acutely aware, being a brand ourselves who had been developing a sustainable design brand want, um, that the marketplace was not either ready um, to fully commit and respond to it. We didn't have a destination where we would be together with other brands that we felt were not only like-minded, but but got up every day with the, with the same vision and integrity that, that we were um, building our business around. So we were like, where would this place be? Um, so in some ways, it was it was really on the supplier side. What is a destination where all of these makers from around the world who are consistently doing good work um, for the development of, of common and collective good, where would they be? And then on the flip side, it was this cold consumer and, and behavior shift, which we were very, I mean, we're going back five years ago when we started uh, developing this idea, but we were... Um, Keenly aware ourselves as customers, but also, and back to your first question about, about audience capture and intelligence, we knew that there was a customer who had already um, made significant strides in evolution in the way that they eat, the way that they're traveling, the, the, their um, evolution in, 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 in motor transportation and the beginning of electric vehicles. And we were looking at this consumer goods space and feeling like there, there needed to be a destination where people could go as a customer 
and have so much of what is otherwise a, a, rel- a significantly daunting task to understand who makes these products, how um, are they found, how are they sourced, how are they going to add value. So um, the starting point, I guess, to answer your question was a significant void we felt in the market from a consumer side and from supplier side. And we wanted to be the matchmaker, the convener, for lack of a better word, um, where, where, where these audiences can meet and effectively build developmental change um, through trade. So that that's, yeah, I hope that answers your question. I'm sure Dexter wants to potentially add to that. Yeah, and nothing really to add. I think Barn, Barn got there to your question, Rick. I think that the only point that I would make, and back to the top of the call, was this didn't feel like a regional or a provincial idea from day one. Um, we saw the signs all around the world that there was this customer that was yearning to make a better choice. And we saw that there were these brands and companies that were out there that were doing truly amazing um, work, but didn't necessarily have an environment where they were able to showcase um, their work. And us creating a platform for that was just wildly exciting for us, was that it gave us a chance to say, look, this is the way business is being done right now. These are your solutions for how you have to buy products today. What if we can show you, you know, another way? And I think that that's what Goody has been for us. Um, it's still relatively early days, but it has a power and a potential to be able to export out um, not just products, but actually an idea about how we can live in a world where we produce less, um, produce better, and we give the customer a feeling that they have some power in that choice. So if uh, any of our listeners want to go to goodyworld.com, G-O-O-D-E-E world.com, they can see the, the types of products you sell, the breadth of, of, of your offerings. I mean, outdoor gifts, furniture, decor, bath and body, dining, lifestyle, and kids. Um, are you sort of a platform for people who are just a bit too uh, sophisticated to use Amazon? How, how, do you, how, how do you describe yourself? Uh, how do you describe the company in a sentence? Uh, uh, for, uh, <laughs> Dexter here, I'm going to, I'll jump on that one anytime someone says the word Amazon. I mean, we don't talk about um, other companies or brands so much, but I think it's a perfect um, segue. So you're, you are asking really good questions, Rick. Um, if Amazon is, is the prevalent option in how we shop, um, and we have a plethora of choices, but we never quite know where the products we're buying come from um, or what the quality of those products are or in the future, if they need to be repaired, who to bring them to. Then it leaves a massive opportunity for someone to come from the absolute other side of that equation and say, what if we brought you less products that were assessed by the founders and, and, and the leaders of this organization? What if we were able to tell you how these products were made? What if we were able to share the stories of how those products actually help and improve other people's lives or the, li- the life of the planet? Then you find yourself you know, really um, trading in um, a conversation that's very distinctly um, you know, different from an Amazon or some of these other marketplaces that are built to have everything. You know, the world's largest, uh, you know, marketplace, we're really selling ourselves as, you know, the world's most create, uh, you know, curated, hopefully creative and trustworthy marketplace in the home space. And so we're the opposite of what you were describing before. And it gives us a lot of 
of uh, relief and strength to know that our proposition is is completely you know different from from someone like Amazon's. Tell us the stories about a couple of the products that you sell and the people behind them. Just give us an idea of you know what makes you different, what gives you this character, what gives you this purpose. Yeah, I mean, there's so many stories to tell. I, I think uh, off the top of my head, I, I, I'll, I'll recount one, which I, I, I think is, is called the Babatry. Um, a neat Canadian connection here as well, too, because Gregory, the founder, is, is Canadian. Um, ended up um, moving to Ghana. I, I, I might get this off um, timing, but in, in about 15 years ago, um, has developed a family uh, together there, become a, a wonderful um, addition to the community by reinstilling a lot of the craft making that's been done there for generations. Uh, this is a, a basket weaving company, uh, very, uh, which one of our, our, our most significant partners and in Bulgatanga in, in Ghana, they have done a few things. One, first and foremost, it's, it's sustaining the craft. And so in other words, preserving a craft that's been around um, for years and making sure that young um, artisans find, uh, young skilled people find their way into artisanship uh, to be able to sustain um, this not only intelligence, but the traditions. Secondly, one of the things that's super exciting for us working with a partner like this is this idea of where these artisans are able to bring their own story, their own direction into the design and development. And I think that where Dexter was in the question before, around whether it be these um, massive marketplaces and our, our, our need to, to have product come into our lives that are, are built in a mass production way, this, this return to simpler design, simpler development, uh, products that have um, really unique stories where an artisan is able to bring their own choice of color, of materiality, of story, of narrative into a product so that by the time that that product comes into your home, it's not a cookie cutter made product that's identical to everything else. And that's one of the, to, to us, that's one of the great values of working together with a partner like this, where they're not only training skills, but they're allowing these individuals to bring their own creativity. And then that spawns into so many other areas of, of, of development in those communities as well, too. Um, outside of that is the, um, a lot of these, these, partners that we were working with are working in, I mean, in West in Ghana, maybe less, but we have partners in Burkina, Burkina Faso and in Mali, there are conflict zones, the notion and the ability to be able for these communities to be working on, on, on craft um, and trade opportunities that are outside of, of other um, violent uh, or um, uh, opportunities that might, that might happen in, in these areas. So it's, it protects, communities it protects people and in their employment and and education and that's also an exciting uh path if i move away from from west africa and 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 into another product that i i think is is, is really exciting is um is pet lamps they are out of colombia um similar story but slightly different um actually i'm probably going to give one more if you'll allow me for time uh but in this particular case the 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 this um Social Cooperative was looking at the problem around um, disposed uh, recycled products that were in the oceans um, in, in, um, in, and, and, and effectively coming into landfill. And the idea was, how do we take plastic bottles, which normally, I mean, we're having all these conversations about recycling, but how do we take trash and turn it into something new? And PET lamps are actually um, made by hand, created by these artisans, by a women's only social cooperative. 
taking um, used plastic bottles and turning them into lamps. And again, each of these are uniquely made. They tell a beautiful story. They're gorgeous um, when when all put together. So it's taking these, and I guess ultimately when you describe the company is where could purpose and design come together, Rick, is, is what our challenge is. So it's not just about how could we make this this um, significant change from a social development side, but how could we look at creating product that's ultimately desirable that a consumer is going to love when they bring into their home or gift to a loved one. And that story will continue on. So there's a couple examples of, of, of brand. And I, I, I have to pause myself because I could do that for pretty much every brand and partner of the 65 partners that we work with. Uh, but there's a couple that I hope give a little bit of a highlight to your audience. So I, I just want to respond to this because I had a chance to Google the Baba lamps and uh, the Baba baskets and the PET lamps. Um, both beautiful uh, craftsmanship involved there, tremendous design. Um, what I love is the name PET lamp. So they've taken PET, which is like the name of a chemical used in plastic, and turned it into a brand. Yeah, and turn it into a brand and a story. And I think that that is this idea of giving um, life um, and, and optimism and positivity to, to, to something that is otherwise destructive. Um, is exciting. Exactly. And I, yeah. That's a hell of a story. Yeah. Because we're, we're, we're trying to deal with garbage and trash and recycling in the circular economy, but no one's rebranded it yet. So they just, took it they, they're co-opting uh, the, the, the chemicals and, build, and building it into their brand, which is, uh, which is fantastic. Now I got to ask you though, the price points on these lamps, thousand dollars, four thousand dollars, two thousand dollars, how is the marketplace, is, is the consumer marketplace sufficiently robust to be able to pay the price points that personal craftsmanship, individual design deserves? Yeah, I think that we, uh, it's a great question. And it's something that we, 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 we knock our heads up against often, Rick. Um, we have this conversation around value and values, and 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 um, if you if we were talking about about a play with with PET words, I think that there's something at play there as well too. Uh, not everything on the site. I, I want to warn our, the audience listening is in the two to three thousand dollar area. Um, we have products at every price point, but ultimately, what we're always looking at, and that's part of the assessment Dexter was referring to before, is ensuring that the the value of the product is consistent with what it takes not only to create that. These are taking um, in certain cases, tens if not hundreds of hours to produce some of these products, and it's important for, and that's a good thing, right? So it's a good thing that you know that that that's not uh, a product that can be made in seconds and 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 sold at the, at the cheapest price. Of course, there you could find products that might look like this at different price points. In the case of the PET lamp, um, there's twofold. That what you're looking at are are, are are clusters. They're, they're, they're in certain cases of the audience you can't see. This is 12 or six lamps that are together. Um, as individual units, those are around 200 US dollars each. So that's probably more in, in line with what, what might not shock. But what we've decided to do is to sell them as, as uh, largely around the, the clusters because we really like this idea of this product telling a very strong story in a physical space as well, too. So um, it's, a, it's a significant question that we're very attuned to. Um, that I, I'd like to say that, I mean, these, uh, these are probably maybe automatically assumed, but everything is, has been vetted to ensure that not only are, are, are these partners that we're working with making, um, it's not about making minimum wages, that they're making truly 
um, wages that are well above living wages. And that does, in certain cases, I mean, this is the construct that, that the consumer ultimately makes a decision for. Is that something that they're willing to pay for? We believe that our audience is not only um, willing to pay for it, is, is, is encouraging as well, too. Right. So many great stories here. Um, give me an idea of your success, if you can. How many employees do you have? How many countries are you doing business in? How many different suppliers do you have? Quantify this excitement for me. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll do a little uh, quantifying for you, D- uh, Dexter, here, Rick. I think the first thing that I wanted to just add to where Barn was before, um, and I think for the audience over at EDC as well, too, I think um, one of the things that I think is really important is that we've been able to manage a um, an, an average order value on our site of around $200 and so and an average price per the unit of around $100. And I think when Barn was saying people are sort of knocking their head against, um, you know, sustainability is expensive or diversity is expensive or exporting is expensive. I think that we've been able to prove out in just three years that you can affordably shop um, and get high design product that's also at a reasonable or at least competitive price. And so um, while to your point, yes, there's lamps that you'll find on the site for $1,000, you'll also find a tremendous amount of products that are less than $100. And it's product that is just as well made with stories that are just as compelling. And there are items that we think that people would love to have in their houses that are going to last them many years as well, too. And so we've sort of built the business on that, frankly. And I think it sort of feeds into your question that you're asking. We're a team of 16 today. Um, so... You know, this was an idea, Barn and Dexter, um, you know, sitting in in, in my apartment uh, a few years ago, really thinking about like, what the, could this look like? We're really excited. We were about six people at the top of the pandemic. Um, when the pandemic hit, I think we thought that um, we weren't going to make it because, you know, this was like the beginning of a new moment. We were talking about home. We were talking about, um, you know, purposeful design. And we didn't know we believe that the co- the customer and the audience was going to come to us eventually, but we didn't know that they were going to come as quickly as they did. What's really exciting to report, you know, two and a half years into that, um, the business grew exponentially. People were at home. Um, you know, I think this idea of people working from home now has created a larger conversation around the importance of home. So there was the importance of home and what does home mean to you? Um, you know, and then now there's also this importance of, of, um, of, you know, home in the sense of people trying to use and activate these spaces in different ways. So from a quantification standpoint, 16 people, um, to Barnes Point, we have about 65 brands that are on the site right now today. Um, we have, um, we, we were doing, we're transacting, we have over 100,000 people on the site on a monthly basis. Um, in peak months, we, we're, we're transacting tens of thousands of orders a year. I mean, so it's, it's, it's been an exciting, um, sort of exciting business for us. And, and we're, we're excited that the market sort of moved in our direction. And I think the one thing that we get excited about is that it kind of happened a little bit faster than we even expected. So that's been really exciting for us. Right. So you're working with suppliers all around the globe. Um, I can't imagine the logistics involved. Um, One of your partners is Export Development Canada, which is the federally owned export credit agency. How has EDC, which says that it takes the risk out of exporting, how has it supported Goody? What kind of value have you seen in your relationship with them? 
You are the relationship is still with EDC. Um, we're we're still a young business. I mean, we're we're a startup. This is Startup Canada podcast. Um, we're still very much in the startup phase of our business. There are a tremendous amount of complexities, especially when you add on, um, you know, pandemic related complexities of supply chain, inflationary pressures, and all the like. I think what we've already been able to get out of our relationship with EDC is twofold. On one side, they've been very supportive um, to be able to help us have the tools. And so they've created um, access to information um, that were, that's been very, very useful and people on the EDC team that have been helping us understand how we can sort of work with some of these complexities. They've also just really helped to to sort of invest in, in, in what we're doing as an organization as well, too. And so um, it's still early days. EDC, our relationship with EDC is very early in our journey. Um, but at the same time, we built this company as a Canadian first business. Um, of the 16 people that we were speaking about, um, foundationally, we're a Canadian company that has a view that Canada has a lot to export to the world. And EDC has been, uh, has been a, a young but still a good partner helping us get there. Fantastic. Now, <clears throat> successful entrepreneurs generally end up becoming role models and getting pulled in all sorts of things to help uh, uh, support, mentor, and encourage other entrepreneurs. Um, as Black entrepreneurs, you must feel that need to help out, to support uh, uh, even even more, more, more uh, passionately than most. Um, what do you see as the state of Black entrepreneurship in Canada today? And, you know, are we seeing that things are getting better? I think Dexter here, um, Rick, I think the jury's still out. But um, if we watch the signs, it looks optimistic. I think that um, there's no doubt that if you look purely from a statistical level, um, there has not been and still continues to not be enough access um, and funding that supports um, Black-owned businesses and, and Black entrepreneurship in general. Um, I think that the last couple of years, um, you know, probably buoyed by um, you know, Black Lives Matter, the George Floyd um, sort of very terrible moment. But it, that catalyzed um, a conversation. And I think it's an important conversation about a lot of the sort of systemic um, structural um, sort of insecurities and inadequacies inside the, um, inside the business space. And I think that what we're seeing now is that there were always, um, you know, great Black entrepreneurs. Um, I think that Barn and I have had the opportunity and, and the voice to be able to carry the message of our story. Probably um, it would have been really great if more black businesses and entrepreneurs had those ladders of opportunity that we had. And I think that to your point and your question, we now definitely feel that we play an outsized role in making sure that some of those other voices and some of those other businesses and some of those other ideas have the opportunity to be able to support it, not just from a sort of federal, governmental or institutional level, but also from a consumer base as well, too. And so we just try to see if we can do our part. Um, we've been head down a lot um, for the past as 25 years in business, but there's definitely an opportunity right now. And I think there is a moment where, um, you know, people can see that diversity in general is a very positive um, elixir to be able to drive creativity and entrepreneurship and good business. And so um, we're excited that there's we're living in a moment right now where people seem to be more open, uh, more curious and more ready to support. 
Um, let's see if it happens. But I think um, I think the trend lines are good that that we're moving in the right direction here in Canada. Right. Uh, the, the the headline on one uh, newspaper site today was about the big six banks loan program to black entrepreneurs off to a slow start. And it's a very complex story. There's lots of reasons. There's lots of problems. Um, it, it, it just seems that uh, this is a problem that we as a community, the Canadian community, uh, hasn't cracked yet. I think it's a, it's, I love what you just said, Rick, about the community. This is not on Black entrepreneurs to solve. Every single person is a stakeholder in trying to create um, a system that's more durable, where all of these parties can make it easier. And I think that this is the very earliest stages of that. But um, there, there needs to be a longer term commitment to real structural change for us to be able to see um, this not be as complicated or as complex because it really doesn't have to be if everyone plays their role. It's, it, it's the optimist in me as well, too, Rick. But there are I mean, we're uh, a spoke in the wheel of this. And Dexter, your question was like what our, our active participation and Dexter and I are largely involved from a personal and professional level around not only mentoring, but also um being instilling ourselves inside the community so that we could affect the change. And there are a lot of, of, of organizations that over that have been for years, but are today, so even if it's off to a slow start, um, I, I we do know and, and one of our investors, BKR Capital, for example, um, is doing wonderful work, um, which EDC is also a partner with as well too, um, doing wonderful work at, at, at not only identifying, but also creating those ladders of opportunity that Dexter was speaking about before. So um, it um, it will take work, but uh, if, if, and I like to where Dexter was, it's not on the community to resolve the problem, but the community is do is actively working to, to, to make um, change and has extremely talented um, skilled individuals and groups and organizations that are doing good work every day for 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 us to to get further along this path. Uh, there's no question. Yeah, I mean that's a bright spot. Uh, BKR raised eighteen million dollars for the 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 Black Innovation Fund. Yeah, uh, just just this past summer. So yeah. uh, you know, and that was way <laughs> way more than its target of ten million. So they're the there is some progress out there and uh, and thank goodness we have great entrepreneurs like you guys to help demonstrate the potential. I mean, the very platform you've built shows what diversity, diverse, diversity of experiences and thought can produce and, uh, and, and the wonderful benefits that can accrue to everybody. The reason I've been a fan of entrepreneurship forever is it allows all of us to contribute as ourselves, whatever we bring to the table and uh, no one succeeds in entrepreneurship if they're not creating value for somebody. Love that, Rick. Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. And uh, there was so much I wanted to talk with you guys about more. We're running out of time. Um, but I just wanted to talk about impact and purpose. You guys have obviously embedded it in your business. It sounds like you're building a community of customers who appreciate that, who want something different, who want to not just make a statement, but help make change uh, through their consumption, through, through, through what they buy and how they act. Can you just tell us a little bit about how, how easy or hard it was to do this? Um, hard. <laughs> Very hard. Yeah. But um, I, 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 I took a note, Rick, of a community of customers um, because 
I've never sort of put that together before. And I'd love, um, so I, I'm, I'm going to pay royalties for that, the community of customers piece. But, um, but I think it's been hard, but if you think about it, um, building a community of customers is hard work. Um, and to where Barn was very from the top of the call, um, it's incumbent on us to be able to present something that has value. It's incumbent on us to tell the stories of why people should choose what we're putting forward or what we're exporting over and above other um, items. But once we've built it, and we've already seen this in the first three years, it just keeps building and the community keeps getting stronger and they become more active and they're more engaged and they're telling other people. And they're the ones that are really bringing this business forward. I mean, we haven't spoken about it in the conversation yet, but when we started out, a lot of the brands and companies that we were finding on the site were found by Byron and myself and our, our team of, of, uh, of buyers and merchandisers. Now we have an active community who are reaching out to us on a daily basis saying, hey, Goody, love what you guys do. Um, we work with or I know or I bought um, this amazing product from country X or country Y that's serving um, purpose A or purpose B. And, and that's such an unlifting, uplifting part of our business is that now we have this engagement, this feedback loop that comes directly from our customers and they're representing us. They understand our values. They understand the assessment work we're doing. And now they're presenting solutions and participating in the role of what Goody's trying to do. And that's a very powerful place for us to be three years in, but it is hard work because it means that we have to deliver on a daily basis a high level of trust and confidence and storytelling and product delivery and good prices um, and and you know great packaging um, to really serve and service this community of customers in a way that they're not being serviced in other places and it's exciting um, but at the exact same time um, you know it's not for the faint of heart and I think as a Canadian company exporting to the world, it's really important for us to always make sure that we're elevating that conversation and elevating the service that we're offering to our customers. Right. Sounds like you're getting a bit of a network effect, though. The, the, the bigger you get, as you get better known, you have a chance to uh, attract more like-minded people on both sides, the, the customers and the suppliers. And if the, and if the customers are not telling you about other favorite suppliers... Absolutely. you've got a growth platform there. We're out of time. So many great things at Goodies, so many <laughs> stories to talk about. Um, I, 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 I hope we can get you back on the show again when, the network, when that network effect <laughs> has turned you into a billion-dollar platform, and we'll be begging for your thoughts on how to do that. Um, any final thoughts? I'll ask each of you for any final words to share for entrepreneurs in general or for black entrepreneurs, for anyone looking at trying to get into a more purpose-based business. Byron, why don't you go first? Yeah, yeah, I will go first because it was something I was just going to end up with Dexter. So thanks for that extra time. And thanks for taking the time today, Rick, to, to speak with us. And we'd be honored to come back. Um, I think one of the things that it was an approach that we took that I, I would also probably encourage other parties to think in a similar way. Um, it's easy in these times to think for a number of reasons, because I think there's there's just um, limited um, availability of, of people's um, time and energy to understand what a company stands for. So they typically try to just do one thing really, really well. I think that our approach to impact has been um, has been um, 
more nuanced in that. And, and, and as you started off the call, we're looking at impact of all different kinds. So that could be impact from a, a level of, of craft preservation of how things are, are, are made and, and, and materials are, are sourced. I think that what, what is troubling to us sometimes is that the conversation around sustainability becomes overly narrow because people, either companies or brands or individuals want it uh, like pinpointed into um, recycled plastic or or, 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 or or straws or plastic bags only. But the conversation is much broader than that. And I think companies have to understand that they have a responsibility to approach it from all ends. Um, you were talking about the Sustainable Development Goal 12. But this conscious consumption and conscious product, uh, production concept and idea for brand is critical that it touches all points. And I just would probably encourage um, to not, in one way from marketing communication, maybe it seems easier to just stay in one lane and only have one conversation around one sustainability attribute. But companies should really be looking far more holistically at, at, at their business and, and their opportunity to create impact as well, too. Couldn't agree more, Byron. Thank you so much. Dexter, I guess you get the last word here, your final advice for entrepreneurs. It's it's funny that we started at the top of the call, Rick, with a conversation about um, having the audacity and the curiosity to be able to export your products. And you asked me a question on that. I think we are moving directly into a time right now where companies are going to create value based on their values as well as their products. And it's going to be extremely important for companies when they are promoting themselves or marketing themselves to really understand at their core how they help to solve a problem and how their company or their products help to serve the world. And I think that whether we're having conversations around diversity, whether we're having conversations around how we're going to work in the future or about um, you know, the power of design or entrepreneurship in general, Companies have to have a reason to exist and they need to be able to service the greater good. And I think that those companies that are there are going to win. Those are the companies that are going to export well to the rest of the world. And those are the companies that are going to find resilience in their internal teams from a retention standpoint, but they're going to create just outsized value for their businesses. And so um, we're trying on a day-to-day -day basis to, to be a leader in conversations around design and sustainability, impact, and diversity. And we think that these are foundational um, opportunities for all business. And so we don't want to be the unique ones that are having this conversation, frankly. Rick, we want all companies to be having this conversation. And we'd love to play in the sandbox with all those companies to really say that we're trying to, like, all together encourage, you know, a better, um, you know, better business and, and, and good business all the way around. Well, wow, that's so well said. We, we, we know that we're entering a values-based world more so than ever before, and yet we don't have enough examples of companies that are living according to their values and are actually um, trading on their values, as you say, creating value through their values. Uh, you're a great example of that of this at, at goodyworld.com. So everyone should, should check it out. And uh, congratulations on the success you've had. And and, you know, early congratulations on the success you're going to have as this continues to take off. Appreciate the time. Thank you so much, Rick. Dexter and Byron Peart are the co-founders and co-CEOs of Goody. And uh, we are definitely going to have you on again as we're going to trace this journey. And thanks for being iconic role models for all Canadian entrepreneurs in this crazy age. Wonderful, Rick. Thanks again. 
Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence. <laughs>